Welcome to a University of Bath IPR policy podcast. We're delighted to welcome Dr. Joe Fan, uh, who, as people will know, is the Chief Executive of Bath and North East Somerset <coughs> Council, is here to speak to us um, this evening. Joe has had a, a very distinguished career uh, in, in public service. She joined uh, Baines uh, in July 2012 as Chief Executive. Before that, she was Chief Executive uh, in Bridgend County Borough Council, which took some transformation, I'm sure, and we can talk about that, about that this evening, uh, and an assistant CEO in Cardiff and in Camden. She's held a number of posts in Whitehall, so she had a, a distinguished career uh, in, in Whitehall, including Deputy Director of Reform Strategy uh, in the Cabinet Office, where she worked alongside the then Cabinet Secretary on a programme of public service reform. And the doctor comes from a doctorate in public service reform issues. That's so, right, yeah. So she's very, very well qualified to address this uh, this issue of the connection between research and academia and policy making to bridge the divide between the two. So uh, it's great to have her th- here this evening. Our theme is public services in an era of austerity. And as people will know, local authorities have borne a significant brunt of the burden of deficit reduction since 2010. Some people would say they've borne a disproportionate burden, that unlike other services um, which have been relatively protected, local authorities have not received. Uh, anything like the kinds of uh, protection against cuts that uh, we've seen elsewhere. And you can argue for or against austerity, but looking within the programme of deficit reduction we've seen since 2010, it's clear that local authorities have borne a lot of it. So how local authorities who are at the sharp end of this programme of, uh, of deficit reduction respond to that challenge, how they transform services, con- continue to deliver services that meet the expectations of their citizens uh, in that context is something that we want to discuss and debate tonight. So, Joe, you're very welcome. Uh, Thank you. And uh, we'll have an opportunity, obviously, for, for questions and debate afterwards, but, Joe, over to you. Thank you, Nick. And I hope that you're okay if I stand here, because I have to flick on the slide. So, so um, good, it's good to be here. I'm going to start at the uh, beginning of my career, not as Margaret Thatcher, but obviously in the Thatcher government, when I, when I first joined... Um, local government, when I first joined central government actually in the 1980s, so take yourselves back for any of you who can remember that, and hopefully most of you are at least born there, although um, it was quite a long time ago. So when I joined government, actually it's fair to say central government was big. It was a large state, it was very inefficient. I mean, I couldn't quite believe it actually. I had had a brief um, spurt in in the private sector and coming into the public sector, you know, people used to disappear off for three hours of lunch. And uh, it seemed to be very autocratic. There were people sitting on... If you were the manager, you sat on a slightly higher platform than everybody else. And people sort of sat below you so you knew who was in charge, and you'd be summoned. I was often summoned, Joe, from the end of the room to walk up to be told something about the casework I was working on. So it was very traditional. It was very disjointed. We worked in, in very strong silos. So I was in um, the criminal injuries department... Um, and that was in the Home Office, but I didn't mix with anyone else in the Home Office, let alone anyone from uh, anywhere else in government. So we were very strong siloed. So I can, I can understand, actually, um, why when the Conservative administration came in, they thought, this needs to change. This is, you know, we felt quite battered at the time, but looking back, you think, actually, you know, there was, there was a big drive to say, you know, you're not competitive, really. The public sector is not as good as the private sector. And we had a lot of, you know, private sector good, public sector bad. And and that wasn't all true, actually. We did some really good stuff in public services. And people who joined public services generally joined because they wanted to make a difference for people. And and we did feel a bit battered. However, 
you know, they introduced this idea of compulsory competitive tendering for local government and other services. I ran a market test where they essentially put your services, your government services, out to tender and you had to compete against um, other people. So I ran the Home Office Training Service at the time. We then went out to tender against many other uh, training services. Um, actually, we won, but uh, it was a tough process to get there. And I have to say, we did become a lot more efficient, a lot more switched on, um, a lot more aware of, of what we were doing and what we were spending. So big time of con um, com uh, competition, but also a time of centralization of policy. So lots of policy was brought into the center. We're going to now develop policy and we're going to tell the world the rest of the public services how to do things. So um, some of you will see my husband's here. He's in the police service in the audience. He remembers the time, that time, the police service. There were loads of diktats going out to the police service. That this is the new policy and this is how you will do it. I'm sure it was the same Andy in local government. Lots of things coming out telling you how, how to do things. And us in central government, who um, I... We became sort of policy wonks, spent our time not talking to anybody on the ground and writing loads of policy and uh, getting bills through Parliament and sending them off to the front line, having never met people on the, from the front line. So um, we did a lot of that, and um, we also did a lot of de decentralisation in that time. So we started to think, well, hang on a minute, is everything best run by this big state, or should we be doing setting up businesses ourselves. So there are a lot of agencies. People remember the passport agency. A lot of prisons were set up into an agency. Agencies were, were definitely the flavour of the month. We, we kind of carved the state up into, into lots of different agencies and downsized um, the, the, the core of the civil service. So trying to take, separate policy from delivery. It's kind of how it felt at the time. But at the time, there was a lot of public service unrest. Like I say, people felt very battered working in public services, didn't feel appreciated. So, um, so then came modernising government, here is Tony Blair came in, um, and put more money into public services. And I think all of us in civil service and probably local government and, and everywhere else in public services thought this is great. You know, we've got some more money coming back into to government. And, and they got rid of competition. We thought this is also great, you know, we're not in in the market anymore with, with the private sector, we can focus on what we're meant to be doing. And they introduced a concept called best value. So that was much more about consulting locally, still challenging people locally um, and local agencies, but, and getting us to compare, much softer kind of approach to, to public services. And that kind of went on for the first four years, I think, of, of the Blair administration. And I moved from the Home Office at that point um, to the Cabinet Office to, to work on public service reform. And this was right at the start of the second term of New Labour. So coming into the Cabinet Office at that time, having had four years of best value, there was a huge amount of frustration with min in ministers. Ministers were had completely, at that point, lost it with the civil service and public services, and um, was my impression. And I used to have to run seminars for the cabinet and for permanent secretaries. And they really had, were so frustrated with government because they think we put in more money, we, we did all this softer stuff with you, we consulted, and actually you're still not doing what we want. We're still seeing no better outcomes and we've, we've got re-elected, but it's, you know, it felt um, difficult. And actually, we've got all of you people in the civil service and if we could just get you doing what we 
wanted you to do, we could achieve great things. So it became tougher. So, um, so best value kind of went, and in came, we're going to really measure performance here. We're going to tell you what we want, hold you to account, and uh, we're going to start introducing performance targets. And Michael Barber, if you remember him, who actually is really inspirational, came into the Cabinet Office, having done a great job in education, in terms of, you know, how do I now get the whole of public services to, to be working towards targets? And, you know, targets actually at the time did get us to focus on, you know, what should we be delivering? And can we try and trim down the number of things we're doing to focus on, you know, three or four big outcomes? And there was a big push to, you know, get citizens involved. So can you start thinking about citizens? So it's the first time when we developed policy we started talking for example, to local government about oh, what might work for citizens. And it's the first time we started talking to the police for if we introduced this new law, would you actually be able to implement it? So there was a real focus then on get out there and find out what's happening and try and make things better on the ground. And civil servants were sent out, hence me, sent out to work in local government. Go out and experience delivery. So if you want to get on in the civil service, you have to get out. Was that was a, a big mantra in this, in this time. But it was also a time where um, government got really switched on to the media. So it became a time where actually the media was really key. And so um, Tony Blair coming in, the Labour, new Labour coming in, there was a lot about how do we make our announcements? Do we make them through Parliament? Do we make them through the media? There was a, um, a lot of people coming in into government who are involved in communication. It was about how do we sell our message to the public? How do we help people to understand that we're doing some good things here? And so, so, um, so it was a really different time, quite an exciting time, actually, to work in government, but I would say really, really frustrating. So like all good civil servants, I was a senior civil servant then, working in the Cabinet Office. I trotted off out and uh, went to work for Camden Council as the assistant chief executive, so equipped with all that I had learnt, I'm off and um, I went to Camden Council and then um, met Jeff, my husband, and moved to Wales. He's from Wales, so off I went then to, to uh, have seven, seven years in local government um, in Wales and then, then back to Bath. So, um, so that took us into the current era. So 2007, you know, we, we'd kind of had a lot more money put into public services. We probably had not become hugely efficient. We'd probably spent that in some of the wrong ways. We hadn't taken the, the lessons from the first four years of new labour. So there was still a bit of waste. And then we had the collapse of the financial sector in 2007 and 8. We all thought, oh, crikey. And then in 2009, we hit a major recession. And it was, so what are we going to, to do now? And we had a cost of living crisis, a lack of growth in the UK. We were really seeing that we were becoming um, non-competitive. So we came into this era of um, big society and austerity. You know, a new coalition government coming into power, Liberal Democrats and Conservatives. Um, and actually, the policy was, how do we take money out of public spending? How do we flatten public spending? And actually, there's very little way, limited ways you can do this. So the choice was, actually, we take it out of the areas where, by law, they have to deliver a balanced budget, and hence why local government has seen the, um, 
the uh, majority of the cuts, but same for um, policing and some other local services. By law, we have to balance the budget. Different story for the NHS, different story for the civil service. Um, we can't overspend. We have to balance our budget at the end of the year, um, and we have to stop spending if we're, if we're not balancing. So, so, there was, um, so that was it, really. It was about nail the savings, you know, squeeze, squeeze local authorities, squeeze them other public services and let's um, take, take money out and that is the way that, uh, that uh, we started to flatten public spending and it's felt painful it's felt very painful so for Bath and North East Somerset over the last three years we've taken out £32 million pounds from our budget's about £250 million. so we've taken about £32 million pounds out through efficiencies um, well, we had some incentives, so there's a, definitely a bigger interest, and I think you can see this theme moving from the Blair government into uh, the coalition government and now into um, the Conservative government of shifting power from central to local. So let's continue to shrink the civil service, and they have been um, cut quite dramatically as well. Let's hand over control to local areas, and let's let people... Um, deliver things for themselves and there are reasons for that so personalized budgets you will have heard about today actually if we all spent to the average we could save a lot of money in um, public services so what government's thinking is if we give people their own budgets they tend to spend to the average or below so um, but if we give the money to local government or health to, to spend for them we tend to spend above average um, if we can um, so so they, they think, you know, maybe about 25% could come out of local public spending if we all just spent to the average. So it's, you know, if you look at the figures, it, you can kind of understand where that's coming from. But they, I think they saw that they were giving us a lot to do, so they stripped out some bu bureaucracy, got rid of the audit commission, um, you know, got rid of some other performance targets, and introduced a lot of local accountability. So you will see um, police and crime commissioners have um, been introduced. Mayors are popping up left, right and centre. Can't get enough of mayors in, in this area. Bath and North East Somerset could have three mayors um, by October, depending on how the, public, how the public see things. So, you know, a real interest in can we have people who are accountable locally who will take, really, um, the accountability for, for the austerity. So there's lot, lots of that um, going on. So we've seen loads of um, local, local elections. And also, I think a really clever trick, actually, is to make everything transparent. So let's publish everything, everybody's pay, everybody's expenses, everything on the internet. And actually, that, you'd be surprised at how much that, uh, that stops people spending on things that maybe they don't need to spend on. So there's been a real push. And I think government has been... Um, impressed. So we have seen um, a difference in the way that government treats local government in the last year or so. I think nobody really thought local government would be able to deliver this. And nobody thought we'd be able to take out the savings that we have. But we outperformed. Um, we outperformed in terms of the savings. And I think there's been a change of minister. Greg Clark has been told to go and rebuild the relationships with local government. They really have you know, risen to this challenge. So there's a different kind of feeling, I think, about, about how we perform locally. 
So kind of where has that taken us? I think all of these changes since the 80s, so since I first came into government, I think absolutely we are more focused on citizens. But we have overpromised. We have created um, a kind of high public expectations and a dependency culture where people aren't doing as much for themselves as they used to. They have a big expectation that we will do things for them. And actually, we can't do that anymore. We can't deliver the same amount of stuff as we used to, to do. We, we are much more focused on performance. We kind of are aware of actually public services need to be high performing. People are generally happier with the way that we perform. But we have created a number of perverse in incentives. So what is measured is what is done still. And, and we kind of see you know, different um, local government as, as uh, much to blame as anyone else, but kind of skewing the way they deliver services to make sure that, that uh, what is measured is, is um, seen. Uh, we've, we've definitely, I think, in terms of creativity, innovation, prevention, we've kind of realised that by taking 32 million out of our budget, we have to work in a different way. And we started finding new ways of doing things. We started looking at if we prevent people from going into hospital or from becoming looked after children, then we can save you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds. Much more around that. But statute hasn't caught up with us. So things like Baby P and, and uh, really the media involvement in lots of these high-profile cases mean that the law actually gets very tight on the things that we're meant to do. So our statutory services are very focused on very expensive things, and we're really penalised heavily, um, if, and we wouldn't want to take risks around those areas. Um, and we're efficient. I think, you know, I think gone are the days where people can say, I think even politicians um, change in Bath and North East Somerset every four years, and actually people can't come in now and say, you're wasting money. I mean, they can see that everybody is kind of flat out and working to capacity. So we're efficient, but where do we go next? Which brings us to our current challenge, because here we are now, you can see um, 1617, um, with our expenditure kind of flat and going up a bit in terms of prediction, and actually the funding that we get, you know, including the funding we get from government, is still going down. So people are thinking, phew, we're out of recession. Actually, this equates to £43 million over four years that we have to find in Bath and North East Somerset. So we've taken out 32 million. People haven't really noticed. People are working a lot harder in the council, limited capacity. Where do we find 43 million pounds? Um, is the question. If someone could tell me that would be, that would be great. So um, just to show you, this is how we spend our money. So just to show you, it's even more difficult to take out this three, 43 million. You, you might not be able to see this, but this big purpley chunk here is adult social care. Well, government has ring-fenced that this year, so we can't touch that. So we can't take any of that £43 million of savings out of adult social care, our biggest budget. The big green blob next to it goes straight to schools, most of whom are academies, so we just act as a post office. We get the money in, and we send it off, and we can't take any of our savings out of that. And then the, the little purpley one is children's services, which are our real high-end social care services, which we have limited opportunities to save from. So, um, so almost three-quarters of our budget goes on things that we can't touch. And then the, the rest of the money has to come out of all of this, these areas, so all of the things that, 
the public will see every day, like waste collection and libraries and, um, and highways and potholes and all of the stuff that you see on a day-to-day -day basis. So this is a real dilemma for us because actually that's not much more than 43 million. So if we were to take that money out um, over four years, you would, you know, a lot of councils we're seeing now are talking about, well, we're just going to be providing social care and very limited other stuff. So it's tricky. So we don't want to do that. Um, so we, because we've got a big ambition for Bath and North East Somerset, we, the, the, we, we developed this um, across Bath and North East Somerset with the universities, with um, business, with um, people from the community, with the voluntary sector. This is where they want Bath and North East Somerset to be. So a beautifully inventive 21st century place. So building on all of that heritage, but um, really taking us to, to, to the next century where we're creating an extraordinary legacy for future generations. So that's our challenge at £43 million less. So that's what we're kind of all geared up to provide. And we've seen some you know, really good stuff going on here. So we, we have um, integrated our health and social care. So it is much better for people who live in Bath and North East Somerset who want, want us one point of contact. contact. We do have public health now, so we can do a lot more on prevention. We have taken out the savings I, I mentioned. We are actually using Twitter, I say, which is fantastic. And the uh, public satisfaction has gone up by 16% since 2011. So all of the time we've been taking out that money, we've been on this real improvement journey. That's been great. So that's where we want to be going. People are up for that. So. Um, you know, it's, it's, how do we do that when we can't go anywhere on efficiencies? We don't really want to be cutting the frontline services that you see every day. You know, we, we not us, but um, we had a waste strike at Christmas where our recycling service didn't collect for a week and the public were up in arms. So trying to convince the public that we really need to go to twice weekly collections of waste is not somewhere people want to go. It's just kind of, you know, unacceptable. But, um, but we've got a bleak... Um, financial picture, and we, we've got uh, limited capacity. So, so this is where I think the next phase of transformation comes. This is where we really need to be starting to think differently. And this is where we are. This is um, the council's strategy, and I think where a lot of people in government are going. So number one, we want to really grow the economy. Because to us, locally, if we can grow the economy, we can keep 100% of business rates, and that's lots of money. So we want to get jobs in this area so that we can, we can give people proper career paths in Bath and North East Somerset, but we can also have money to spend on our frontline services. So that for us is just uh, makes complete sense. We want to focus on prevention so that we stop spending £50,000 on each looked-after child and we start spending a few thousand pounds on families who are, who are finding things difficult so that we can keep children in their own homes and we can, we can intervene when, um, before problems have really started. So that's the kind of stuff we want to be doing. So take the money out of high-end services to stop our leisure centres falling down by really investing upfront and doing things properly upfront so that we're not spending the money later on. But that's a challenge because most of our money is locked into the statutory services. But that's what we, we're planning to do. We, we want to make ourselves a more efficient business, but basically that means we want to raise income. 
So that doesn't mean raising all of your car parking charges, I don't think, some of that. Um, but mostly it means things, things like setting up a new housing company. Now, 10 years ago, I would have said that's wrong. We shouldn't really be getting into competition with the private sector. But now I think, actually, you know, if we can do this, if we can fill a gap in the market and we can raise income, which we can spend on vulnerable people locally, then that's got to be a good thing, I think. Um, and uh, finally, we want to develop a new relationship with our customers and communities. We want people doing things for themselves here. We have a really articulate um, community who are really engaged in public services and really interested in public services. Sometimes we find that exhausting because they will email us constantly. Um, but actually, if we could channel that energy into doing things, people doing things for other people in their communities, um, the response we've had to Syrian refugees here has been fantastic. You know, I've almost had to fight people off with blankets and water, which is not what we need for Syrian refugees. But um, we have had lots of lots of people wanting to to bring refugees in from Syria to Bath and North East Somerset. And you know, actually, we're now on our seventh family who's come to settle in the area, and we've had a fantastic public response to that. And um, and, you know, we've, we've helped to house the people, furnish their homes, give them welcome packages, and really help them integrate into the community. And that's been, you know, with the help of, of the community. So we've got loads of capacity, and we need people <coughs> doing more for themselves. So I'm just going to talk really briefly about um, one or two things that we're doing within this strategy. Um, and one is devolution. So... <coughs> Um, this is the growth, so in order to get growth, we need devolution. So, um, as you know, devolution is, is not new. Um, pe I, people have been talking about it for a long time, but um, it's been really pushed now by the Treasury. So, um, devolution will help us to bring much-needed money into this area so that we can grow the economy. So, it will help us to turn places like Bath Keys, North and South, um, next to the station into really vibrant business districts where we can bring in new jobs. It will help us to invest in the Soma Valley um, so that we can bring new jobs into, into that area. It, but the only way to do this is through devolution. So at the moment, as a west of England, which is us, um, Bath and North East Somerset, it's Bristol, North Somerset and South Gloucester, we're locked into discussions with the Treasury about a, a devolution deal. Um, and the reason we need it is because we are profitable. You can see there's us, the green line. We, our GVA is, is um, 25,000 ahead. But if we could grow our businesses and get to somewhere near London, you know, these are the types of figures that we're talking about. You know, it's, a, it's a lot more, a lot more GVA um, if you live in certain areas of London. So that's our, kind of our aspiration. We're profitable in the UK. We, we don't create a deficit, but... We could be better. So, um, so what we're asking government for is a big infrastructure fund. So will they give us the money that they usually spend on transport, for example, on um, homes, on um, brownfield sites? Will they give us that money so that we can decide where it's spent in our local area? So we're locked into um, devolution discussions uh, around looking for around a billion pounds. I don't think we'll get that, but that's what we're, we're asking for, a billion pounds to spend on infrastructure across the west of England so that we can really grow and unlock sites. 
We've asked for more control over things like transport, so we decide where our roads go and what rail we invest in and where we have stations, so we decide that and not government departments. We decide what skills we might need in this area, so we, we can have a certain amount of control over um, the skills funding. Um, we, we would look at housing and where, how we can get affordable housing, a big issue for us into this area so that people can afford to come and live here and work here and have really good careers here and not have to travel in from Chippenham or, or Bristol um, to, to get to Bath. So that's what we're really looking for. And planning so that we can unlock some developments. We get a lot of criticism from developers actually um, saying that they would love to they would love to develop on our beautiful greenfield sites with beautiful views over our World Heritage City, when actually we've got a lot of brownfield sites that they already have planning permission for. We want to unlock that by having more planning powers so that we can, we can, do, we can do things with that. Now, I'm not sure government will give us any of this stuff, but these are the types of things that they've got in Manchester. So this is what we're thinking. It's good enough for Manchester, good enough for us. So that's the type of stuff that they've... That they that they've got. So um, we want control of our own destiny, really, and it's a really exciting time. On Friday, um, the four leaders and mayor from the region, um, the Bristol mayor, other three leaders, are going to London to meet Treasury ministers to kind of try and negotiate this deal. So we think we'll probably have a few goes at this, and then hopefully something will come out at the other end, which we'll be really pleased about. But at the moment, I can't give you any detail around what's in our ask because Treasury have said they'll stop talking to us if we, if we share too much. So, but broadly, if you look at the Manchester deal, it's kind of where we're, where we're going. So, um, so it could be exciting if we get that. And it will mean that, you know, actually some of the pressure that we're feeling, so some of the um, things that we're not able to do, we could do to, to bring growth and jobs to this area. And then if we look at one of the other strands, which was customers and communities, so how can, we, how can we get people to do more, and how can we do more with less? So customers and communities and the efficient business. And I thought I'd talk to you just a little bit about, um, about using data and how we're not really doing this that well yet as a public service, apart from John here who works for council, who's the person in the council who does this really well. But we can't just rely on John forever. We kind of need to, to kind of get a bit of a grip on this. So... You know, sharing data we find really hard as public services. We have to kind of have information sharing protocols. We have to get through a whole cultural um, kind of resistance to sharing any data, lack of trust, fear of what pe other people will do with it. So we have to get through all of those barriers. And I went to a children's centre the other day, and the children's centres in this area do really good work with the under fives, and particularly under fives who are struggling to get them into a really good position when they go to school. And then when they go to school, they should flourish. But if you don't do that work with them before they're five, their outcomes in terms of education, health, life chances just diminish. But actually, what things we know that we don't share that would really help them, um, they were telling me the other day, is who's below the level of development at age two? Well, we know that in this area, but we don't share that. So the children's centre who does the work doesn't know who to target um, who is referred to social services but doesn't quite reach the threshold? So there are, there are maybe issues with that child, they're concerned enough to refer them into social services, but they don't reach the threshold 
for intervention. And the threshold is quite high, so we don't intervene unless we have to. So, so we're not picking up those children. And people who are just not accessing universal services, so kids who aren't going to the dentist, for example, we're not kind of sharing any of these, this data. If we did, then actually we could pick up a lot more children who are around two and get them into a really good place by the time they were five. So we've got a bit of a project going on at the moment to look at, you know, that's simple, how do we do that? And that's, if that's just in one children's centre service, which is a tiny fraction of our business, if we took that across the whole of local government, that would be really, really a big issue. And where we have shared data, so if, you, if people know about the government's Troubled Families programme, we have a really good programme here called Connecting Families, where we've got the police, um, uh, voluntary sector, the NHS, social care, all working together around families who um, may have issues, who are finding things difficult. Because we share their data, actually we ha we're able to have really good outcomes for those families. We're getting people back into work. It's, it's really motivational. We're getting kids back into school. We've stopped loads of children being looked after. I mean, it's really fantastic. And what's more, the parents know they can't play one off against the other because we're all talking and sharing information. So, they, And they sign up to that at the beginning. So they sign up to the fact that we're all going to share this data. And they, they that's kind of good. So... Where we share it well, we can make a real difference. And we're also doing things, I think, where we you know, could do things even more dramatically, where we're starting to work, I think, with, the, with your institute, Nick, actually, to, to share data, to look at, you know, well, what could we do in terms of um, really influencing policy? So what could we do to influence diabetes or pre preventative health care? So by sharing data, are there things that we could then do differently? And I think that's a really exciting program that we're kind of getting, getting into. So this is something, you know, this whole digital agenda and uh, where we are, we're, we're quite behind. But we do have this wonderful thing called Bath Hacked, which John, if you want to know more about, actually, actually is very involved in, where we just open up our data to, um, to everybody. So anything we can now let people have, we do, don't we, John? We, we, as a council, we've stopped being protective about our data and we're just putting it all out there and I think twice a year people come together who are interested and start designing um, new things that might help. So there's a, I think at the last bath hacked, the one I really liked because I'm obsessed with this, is if you ever eat at a re restaurant in Bath and Northeast Somerset, you should look at the food hygiene rating. Does, does anyone do this? I just see a show of hands for anyone who looks at the food hygiene rating. Okay. <laughs> So the food hygiene, we have, we have environmental health inspectors who inspect all restaurants and give people a food hygiene rating. And if it's got a food hygiene rating of less than three, I wouldn't eat there. Never, wouldn't, I would say. If it's got a five, I would definitely eat there. And if it's got a four, it usually means that they've just had new management. So fours and fives are kind of good. You'll all get obsessed with this now. You'll go and you'll see... Um, it's got on the door. And if there's not one on the door, you, you, uh, you, know, you might think, why haven't you published it? But you don't need to worry now, because at the last bath hacked, hacked there was an app. Um, I, can tell you what it, I don't know if I can tell you what it's called, but a mobile app has been developed, freely available bath food safety. So if you're outside a restaurant and you think, well, should I be eating here? You can do, get your app up and you can check what is their food hygiene rating. We did it the other day, didn't we, for Yak, yak Yeti Yak, I think. That's okay. So, uh, so we, we, we had there. That was fine. So you might want to try that. 
try that. I'm not sure I should be advertising, really, should I? Anyway, do look at um, the food hygiene rating. And these type of stuff that the community is now developing, and there's much more clever ones around how to reduce your energy bills and how to get more involved with the environment and, and, and where your parks and green spaces are. There's loads of stuff that actually we're developing. And very soon we are going to give the public um, the new bath app, which will start to give you access to to more and more of this stuff, but you'll be able to see all of the things going on in your area and access all of our services, and uh, we're just testing that at the moment. And uh, you'll be able to report, report graffiti to us and uh, potholes and, and everything else, and you'll basically be helping us because you'll be cutting out the middleman. You won't have to phone someone, speak to them. You know, it costs us a lot of money. You can just tell us. It will come up on our computer, and we can fix it much better. So, and finally, this is um, just um, another example of open data. This is Alex. He's a 13-year-old student from one of our schools, and he's just uh, been selected to present at a national um, conference with um, an invention to um, monitor air quality powered by um, Bath open data that he got from the council. So, all really good stuff. So I think that's where I'll finish, actually. I think we've had a long history of reform. We've kind of come through um, different e eras and um, different kind of approaches to reform, but all taking us to a place that is probably a lot better than it was 30 years ago. Um, but it feels difficult, and it feels that we can't go any further without doing something radical. So we've got our new radical um, budget proposals, our new rad radical corporate plan, which hopefully we will deliver over the next four years. And it feels good, but it feels unknown. And sometimes it feels a bit like um, a wing and a prayer. So uh, that's worrying. But then Jeff found this quote for me, which said, a radical is a man with both feet planted in the air. So that's how I feel like Bath and North East Somerset, both our feet planted firmly in the air. Thank you.